0: Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Revelations 22:20. 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to come together to hear not from the thoughts of a man, but we get to hear you. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning. And, Lord, be with our missionaries um, in Italy. Pray for the uh, Adorolies that they would um, find great fellowship and partners in ministry there in Italy, Lord. We ask that you would uh, strengthen them and renew them and Lord, we pray that the word in Italy would go forth in power. And we also pray the same for our brothers and sisters over at the Branch Church and their pastor, Doug. Lord, would you be with them this morning? Give your people joy there as they receive the word. And we pray for Doug that he would be able to preach the word with power, that your spirit would be with him. And Lord, may his words be done in love. And do the same here among us this morning as well, Lord. We ask that your spirit would be with us and that you would be our teacher Lord, as we look at your word, pray that we would get a glimpse of your beauty and your glory, and that we would all bow before your throne. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, ask that you would be with us this morning, be with me, be with my tongue, and still my anxious heart, so that I might speak clearly. We depend on you, and ask all this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, we continue our series through the Lord's Prayer, and we come to the second petition. When the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, he told them to pray like this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we have a good reason this morning to long for God's kingdom to come. You see, when kings abuse their power, people under their rule will long for a new king. And I'm sure we've all felt this and had a desire for a new ruler at one point or another, regardless of where your political parties lean. But our nation even finds its roots in longing for a different ruler. And even our families have come to America, many of them for the very same reasons, because our families wanted a new ruler But this longing for a better ruler, a new ruler, is far from being unique to us as Americans. You see, throughout the Old Testament, as we read about Israel's history, we see repeatedly that they were ruled by terrible and godless kings. This longing for a good king finds its roots in Exodus. Exodus opens up with these words. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And many of us remember the reign of that king. He oppressed the people and made their lives miserable. He made them slaves. And even worse yet, he killed their male children. But we know the story continues from there, for God would deliver his people from that king. He would eventually even give them their own land, and God would be their king, and Israel would be his people but God's people were not content to have God as their king. You see, as we continue into Israel's history, we read in 1 Samuel, when the, the elders of Israel rejected God as their king and wished to make another man their king instead. First Samuel 8 and 4. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Israel too, they wanted a king to be like the rest of the nations, but Israel's kings were not much different than the other kings either. And under the rule of Israel's kings, we see, again, terrible, terrible things happen in Israel. We can read about it in First and Second Kings, but let me summarize it like this. Under the rule of Israel's kings, the nation was divided by civil war. Under the rule of these kings, the voice of God was not obeyed. And under the rule of these kings, the voice of the prophets was ignored, and ultimately this would end in Israel's captivity in exile, where they would be ruled yet again by more foreign kings who would oppress them and their children yet again. But in the midst of Israel's history, God gave his people glimmers of hope, many of them God gave them promises and prophecies that spoke of a coming day where a king would rule his people with righteousness. Listen to one of these prophecies, probably one of the most well-known of all of these, spoken by David to his king, David. Excuse me, spoken by the Lord, given to King David. 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 10, the Lord said, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appoint judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So hopefully we can understand by now how God's people longed for this king to come from the line of David. But many kings would come and go after David died and none of them would live up to God's promise. And so when we open up the pages of the New Testament, it's no surprise to us that we read of yet another wicked king named Herod, who once again would send his soldiers and troops throughout Israel to kill the baby boys of God's people. See, God's people knew what it was like to long for a better king. Israel longed for this king to come, and it's no wonder that when Jesus began his ministry, he did not simply preach about grace, he did not simply preach a message about the love of God, although he did both of these things. But when Jesus came onto the scene, what he first announced was the good news of the kingdom. This is the message that Jesus preached. Matthew four seventeen. from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of the kingdom of God was central to Jesus's mission, both in word and in deed jesus proclaimed and demonstrated that the kingdom of god was at hand and when jesus preached he taught israel what was required of them to enter into the kingdom and when he told parables he further explained what the kingdom of god was like and when jesus cast out demons and healed the sick he demonstrated that in fact the kingdom of god had come So upon seeing Jesus's mighty deeds, Matthew records the people's response. Matthew 12, 23, and the youth should recognize this because we just covered this this last Wednesday. And the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? In other words, has the promised king and his kingdom finally come? And Jesus answers their question, and just a few verses later in verse 28, he says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, central to the hope of Israel and central to the mission of Jesus was that of the coming kingdom of God. And so it's no surprise to us that when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to pray like this Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in order for us to understand what this prayer means, in order for us to understand what it actually requires to to pray for his kingdom to come, well, we need to first understand what the kingdom of God is. So let me lay the foundation with the first point in the sermon. When God's kingdom comes, God will reign. So understand, when we are asking for God's kingdom to come on earth, what we are asking is for God to rule and reign over the world. And a book by George Ladd called The Gospel of the Kingdom really helped me understand this point as I was preparing for this sermon this morning. Oftentimes, when we use the word kingdom in English, as Americans, we are actually talking usually about a realm. When we use the word kingdoms, we usually have in mind a place with geographic borders, but this is not the way the Bible tends to use the word kingdom. When the Bible uses the word kingdom, typically it's used to describe the rule of a king, not a land. And so when we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are not asking for a new realm to come replace the earth. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are not asking for a new land. In fact, we, when we pray this prayer, we are not even praying for heaven to come to earth. But when we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking for God to come and rule and reign on earth just as he does in heaven. So it might help us to understand this about heaven. Heaven is only heavenly, heavenly. Because God rules there perfectly in everything, submits to his perfect rule and reign. But if God did not rule in heaven, well then heaven would cease to be good at all. If God did not rule in heaven, well then heaven would be no better than hell. So if we think that the kingdom of God is a realm, well then we will not understand what it means to pray, your kingdom come. If we think that God's kingdom is a realm instead of his reign, well, then we won't even understand most of Jesus' ministry. Take, for example, this command when Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness from a later teaching here in Matthew 6. This is not a command to look for heaven. This is not a command to seek some hidden utopia here on earth. To seek first the kingdom is not a command to find yet another promised land, some hidden Atlantis that no one has yet to find. To seek first the kingdom means to seek a life that totally submits to the rule and reign of God and to obey him. To seek first the kingdom means to live a life that lines up with his righteous law. This definition of kingdom might lead to a bit of confusion at first because we might be thinking, well, doesn't God already rule and reign over his creation? Isn't he already sovereign over all? And when Jesus came, did he not already tell us that his, the kingdom of God was upon his people? The simple answer is yes. Psalm one hundred three nineteen: the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So yes, God rules over all of his creation. And he is sovereign over all. Then there is not one atom, not one molecule, not one created thing that is not under his complete rule and reign. But if that's the case, then why do we pray, let your kingdom come? Well, we should first understand that Jesus is not denying the sovereignty of God here. And if we just stop and consider the state of the world let alone the state of our own heart, we would come to the very same conclusion to see that Jesus' kingdom is not yet fully here. Though God is sovereign over all, and even though he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, not every knee has bowed, nor every tongue confessed that he is Lord. So even though he does rule over all, there are still rebels against his rule. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are asking that the Lord would rule and reign over the hearts of his people. And even those of us who have already confessed that Jesus is Lord, that is to say, those of us who are Christians, well, we still need more of God's kingdom to come in our hearts, even more than it is already in our hearts. When we gather here together to worship God, we are yet just a small expression of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven because he rules and reigns in the hearts of his people and we submit gladly to him. And yet, we know better than to think that we do so perfectly because we're all sinners and we constantly sin against God and against one another and so we ought to pray all the more, let your kingdom come, renew our hearts, in our desires, so that we would submit to you and bow to you and honor you above all else. But that's not the only time when we pray for God's kingdom to come. When we are seeking that the Lord would rule in the hearts of those who have yet to submit to him as Lord, well, we pray the very same prayer, When I'm praying for my children's salvation, I am praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, your rule and reign to be established into the hearts of those kids who do not know you and do not love you and do not obey your word. So when we pray for the salvation of those whom we love, we are praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. But we don't stop here in our prayer. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we pray that God would rule and reign in Vancouver through the work of evangelism in churches all across the area as the good news of the gospel is proclaimed among unreached people even here who have yet to submit and bow to Jesus Christ. But we don't even stop praying for Vancouver. When we preach, or when we pray, excuse me, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God's kingdom would invade Asia, Africa, North and South America, Australia, Europe, Antarctica. When we pray, let your kingdom, your rule, your lordship come on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying a missionary's prayer. And while there are believers all around the world who submit to his reign, we do know, we do know, just by looking even at our own hearts, that his kingdom has yet to come in its fullness because even times we continue to rebel. And so until every knee has bowed and every tongue confessed that Jesus is Lord, and until sin is entirely rooted up out of our life, we will continue to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And one day this will come to pass. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And one day God's people will be free from sin altogether, no longer rebelling against God. But until that day comes, we will continue to pray, let your kingdom come. And this leads us up to the next point. You see, all of our hope in this life is wrapped or ought to be wrapped up into the coming of God's kingdom. In other words, the coming of God's kingdom ought to be something that we eagerly long for and look forward to coming. Because when God's kingdom comes, the saints will be rescued. The rule of God, his reign and his kingdom coming, it is good news for his people. And that's a rather underwhelming way of putting it. You see, The kingdom coming is not good news in the way that our football team winning a game is good news. The coming kingdom is not good news in the way that getting a raise in our job is good news. God's kingdom coming on earth isn't even good news like the union of marriage or the birth of a child or the recovery of the sick. You see, God's kingdom coming is good news because when his kingdom comes, suffering will come to an end forever. Listen to the way that Jesus' public ministry began in Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, listen to it, the gospel, that is, the good news of the kingdom. And as he preached that message of the kingdom, he healed every disease and every affliction among the people so that his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Here we see the kingdom of God is breaking through into people's lives. So we need to understand, when we talk about the gospel, a word we use all the time around here, when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ Jesus proclaimed the gospel, but not just simply good news. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom coming. And he didn't just announce it with words, but when the kingdom of God was upon his people, this was not just a concept for scribes and scholars. The gospel of the kingdom wasn't just good news to be logged in scrolls or in textbooks. The gospel of the kingdom is a reality that is breaking into the lives of those who come to Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom came with healing for those who suffered. The gospel of the kingdom came with deliverance from those who were oppressed by demons. So understand what it means for the gospel of the kingdom to be this good news. It means God's rule and his reign comes with the freedom and deliverance and rescue of God's people. With this in mind, consider again Israel's hope that was wrapped up in this coming Messiah, this son of David. Remember the covenant once again that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7. I will appoint a place for my people. This isn't just about a king. This is about his people. And he will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appoint judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. And this is what Jesus is doing as he's announcing the gospel of the kingdom. He was giving his people rest. And Jesus here, he's doing all these wonderful things among the people, and the people all the while were wondering, could this really be the king that we've been waiting for? Is this the son of David? So too, when we pray, let your kingdom come we are praying, yes, that God would rule and reign. But not only that, when we pray, let your kingdom come, we are praying that God would rule in a way that no other king could ever rule. We are asking God to rule for the good of his people by taking away all of our troubles, all sickness, and yes, even defeating our enemy. That is sin and death. And so when the kingdom comes, sickness will no longer be a thing. When God's kingdom comes, we will no longer be harassed by Satan anymore. When the kingdom comes, even death will be defeated. The coming of God's kingdom, listen, is it's incredibly good news. So understand that when we pray, let your kingdom come, we are praying that God would rule and reign and sustain and give us life even here and now, that he would heal us from our sicknesses, that he would free us from Satan's bondage, and ultimately that he would give us life from this time forth and forevermore. So it's no wonder the people rejoiced when Jesus finally entered into Jerusalem. You see, when Jesus came to Jerusalem on a donkey, Matthew tells us in Matthew 21, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt of the foal of a beast of a burden. And the crowds, oh, they did not miss the significance of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. For the crowds, they went before Jesus And they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. At last, the hope of Israel was before them. At last, their king had come. And he would rule forever. See, this is incredibly good news especially those who are under the rule of terrible kings. And Israel was certainly that. Remember, they were under Roman occupation. And they believed that the coming of the Messiah meant that Jesus would come to cleanse Israel of their Roman occupation. And this brings us to the last point. When God's kingdom comes, those who oppose his rule will be dealt with once and for all because when God's kingdom comes, the wicked will be brought to ruin. God's people, they they longed for this day where there would be no more wicked kings who would oppress them, but a day when the king, the only king, would rule and reign forever for the good of his people. You see, the Old Testament prophets are full of language about this future day that they refer to as the day of the Lord. And on that day, God said he would come to destroy all the wicked kings of the world, we need to understand this, that our God, he, he rules with justice, which means that he will not let the wicked go unpunished. And God's judgment against such kings that are wicked and evil were spoken of in prophecies like the one in Daniel 2, Let me set up the scene. Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream that came from God of a statue made of, up of many different parts. And then this rock came from heaven and destroyed that statue. You'll remember, Nebuchadnezzar, he was worried. He didn't know what this dream meant, but he was worried it meant something terrible for him. And so he inquired of all the people in his nation to try to figure out what this dream meant. And Daniel, well, he was able to interpret the dream. Listen to Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2.37. He says, you... O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given you the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he was given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold, and another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw, the feet and the toes, partially of the potter's clay and partially of iron, it shall be divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be put into it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. Skip to verse 44. He says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw that the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hands and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. I want us to notice the similar language of the eternal kingdom of God promised to David is once again brought up here in Daniel's prophecy. When the eternal kingdom comes, that is when the son of David rules and reigns, Daniel tells us the wicked will be destroyed. Alas, that's what the people thought when Jesus came into Jerusalem. That's what they were expecting So when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a a donkey, their expectation was that Jesus would come to do just that. They expected Jesus to overthrow Rome like the rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that destroyed all the kingdoms of the world. They believed that Jesus would destroy the wicked kingdoms that opposed God's people. And so all the while, we get all excited about the thought of Jesus doing this, destroying the wicked, bringing an end to their rule and reign. But if you think that's all God's kingdom is about, is destroying the wicked nations out there, well, then you might be missing a crucial detail about the gospel of the kingdom. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he did not come to cleanse Jerusalem from its Roman occupation. Instead, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, where did he go? He went to the temple, and it was there that he cleansed it instead of Rome because of the house of God was defiled by sinners. You see, if we think that the coming of God's kingdom is just about God destroying all those wicked people out in the world without ever coming to terms of recognizing our own sin, well, then you'll miss the main thing that you should recognize with regard to God's coming kingdom. You see, God, he will destroy every enemy of his. And those enemies are not just simply those who oppose Jerusalem, not just simply those who oppose the church, but ultimately those who he will destroy are those who do not bow to Jesus as Lord. Do you remember Jesus' message when he was announcing the kingdom? He did not preach saying, rejoice for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all the while, sometimes we get so caught up in the rejoicing that we forget to repent. Do you remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount of that of the kingdom? Matthew 5.20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven In other words, the kingdom is not about all those sinners out there being judged by God. No, the kingdom coming is about every single sinner, even the most righteous of us who are like the Pharisees. Even they are unworthy to enter the kingdom of God. And so when God's kingdom comes, we need to recognize this. Every single man and every single woman will stand before the judgment seat of God. And on that day, God will judge every single one of us, each and every single one of us, for every deed we have done, every careless word that we have said, and every thought that we have ever had that we think is hidden from everyone else. It's no wonder Jesus said that it's only with difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Understand, if we wish to be a part of God's coming kingdom as we seek it and as we pray for it to come, well then, we're gonna need some help. God's coming kingdom, let alone being able to enter it, is something that no man can accomplish. We do not bring about the kingdom coming, and we do not bring about our entrance into that kingdom either. So if we wish to have rescue rather than ruin when God's kingdom comes, well then, we need to pray all the more. God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come in my life. Replace my sinful desires with a love for you and your righteous law. But not only that, replace my sin with your perfect righteous record. Sure enough, God has made a way for us to receive that righteousness. You see, Jesus, he taught about the kingdom by telling all kinds of parables. In one of those parables, he compared the kingdom of heaven to that of a mustard seed. In Matthew 13, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that, was, that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. This simple little parable speaks of the humble beginnings of the kingdom of God. It's compared to this smallest seed. And yet this small and in, in, insignificant seed, one day with time becomes this great tree, greater than all the other plants in the garden. So understand this of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom has the most humble beginnings. For when Jesus came, he did not come with splendor and might like everyone expected the son of David to come with. He did not come like a warrior king to defeat Rome. But instead, when Jesus came, he came in humility and in weakness. He came as the the suffering servant. And when he came, he did not come as this great and mighty warrior to destroy Rome or any of the kings of the world, much less any single sinner. Instead, when he came, he came to destroy sin and death. And like a king, he wore a crown, and like a king, he was exalted on high, but his crown was not made of gold and jewels like all the other kings, but instead he wore the crown of thorns. And when he was high and lifted up, it was not on a throne like all those kings of the world, but instead when he was lifted up on high, he was hung on the cross to die, What kind of king would die so that his people would live? No, even better than that. What kind of king would die to save his enemies? You see, God's kingdom has come in part. When Jesus came, he came to defeat the wicked, that being Satan. And his demons, and he demonstrated that as he cast out demons. And he has begun to save his people, even us today. For the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers, but God has shown a light so that we might see his beauty, and so that we might bow our knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. And so he has begun to save us from sin and death. And he has even began to establish his rule here on earth as it is in heaven. And he does so right here and in all sorts of other churches that are gathered around the world. But God's kingdom is not fully realized yet. You see, one day, Jesus, he will return to establish his kingdom on earth. And no one knows when he'll return, but we all know he will come. He has promised us that he will. And when he does, he will not come like that little mustard seed, You see, when he comes, no one will be able to miss it. Because when he comes, he will come in splendor and glory. And when Jesus returns, he will destroy all of his enemies. You see, when the end comes, God will judge the living and the dead. And so when we pray, let your kingdom come, how should we do so? What should our posture be? Should we be thinking, God, let your kingdom come just so you may destroy all the sinners out there? No, Rather, when we pray, let your kingdom come, we ought to do so with the utmost humility and repentance. For the kingdom is at hand, Jesus declared. So repent. And when we pray for his kingdom to come, we pray, Lord, reign in our hearts, rule in our hearts, uproot the sin, uproot every idol. So that you alone may be revered and honor above all else. And when we pray for His kingdom come, we can do so, knowing that it will come. We can do so in hope, but not the kind of hope that the world has, just hoping for the best. But we can pray, let your kingdom come with a confidence in knowing that he already reigns and he is sovereign and one day his rule and reign will be seen throughout all the world. His kingdom, it is coming. Our king has promised that he will return. Revelation eleven fifteen. then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants and the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Our king is coming. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that your kingdom is coming.